Okay, good morning, everybody. Um, there are a couple people that I don't think I've met. So my name is Ellie Schmidt, and my husband and I have been members at Redeemer for about 22 years. So I know, I was three when we joined. Um, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> we are studying the minor prophets this year, which sounds a little scary. When Claudia and I and some of the other ladies were talking about what should we study this year, we weren't sure. But she, Claudia asked, is there anything anybody doesn't want to study? And I said, the minor prophets. Which might be why we're studying the minor prophets, because God does have a sense of humor, and he was getting my attention out of my own mouth. So I want to tell you um, where the minor prophets are, but first I want to tell you what I'm using for study guides or study, um, study notes for learning about the minor prophets, because I'm learning along with you. I don't know that I've, I've never studied the whole group of minor prophets. And so we need some help with that. I'm using the ESV, the English Standard Version Bible. I will throw other copies or other versions in, but I'll let you know when I do that. Um, I'm using James Montgomery Boyce's commentary on the minor prophets. And then I'm using R.C. Sproul's devotional called Table Talk. My husband has a collection of Table Talk that goes back years and years. And so they did the Minor Prophets one year, and I'm using this um, also as a resource. I've also, for today, used a lot of internet resources, and all, all these charts and maps I have are thankfully borrowed from people online who put them together. So if you want to know the references, they're on the bottom of the pages. I tend to be a wanderer, so this mic thing is making me more nervous than anything because I want to go over here and talk to you about where we find the minor prophets in the Bible. Um, the Bible itself is a book made up of 62, 66 smaller books. And the minor prophets are in the Old Testament. You, have, you should have this chart that shows about the books, how the Old Testament is broken up. So we have the law, history, poetry, and prophets. That kind of helps give a framework for what we're doing. And you see that in the prophets category, there's major prophets and minor prophets. Now, I think that this unfortunate title of minor prophets has impacted us because words matter. And so I have thought, minor, not that important, not going to read them. They're a little confusing, skipping those. But not true, not true. These prophets were just as much spoken to by God, ordained by God, used by God, as the major prophets. And if you look at the other side of your sheet, the timeline, you'll see that the minor prophets and major prophets were speaking all throughout history together. So it's not that 
the major prophets came first and had a more important message, and then the minor. Did I say that right? The major prophets came first and then the minor. They were all together. So it's really just about length and book. So the Hebrew Bible calls the minor prophets the twelve. So we're going to go into the twelve. We're not going to call them minor prophets anymore. We're just going to call them the twelve because they were twelve important books and still are twelve important books. You can hold me to that when I say minor prophets. And go, no, no, we're calling them as well. I want to go ahead and give you a little quick history lesson. And I'm hoping that this thing won't fall. here to Egypt so that they could eat. Well, it turns out that they were stuck in Egypt for 400 years. After 400 years, well, I don't know what happens after 400 years because I'm not that old, and our country's not that old. It seems beyond our comprehension, 400 years. But after 400 years, the Israelites were slaves to the people of Egypt. And so they did not like it. They were calling out for help, but how well do you think they knew their God? I think there was some remnant of what it was like to be Jewish and have Jewish culture. They were separated from the Egyptians in the area they lived, but they didn't know God. And so God decided, I've got it. Yeah. Oh, the recorder. Okay, we've missed the history lesson. Sorry, ladies. Tell your friends if they listen. I'm sorry. Um, um, they didn't know his power, right? And so God raised up Moses and called them out of Egypt to worship him. And, and he, what did he use to get them freed from Egypt? You can say it. Plagues, big plagues. That was that's a big deal. That showed a lot of power. And then they came out and they were kind of stuck with the Egyptian army behind them in the Red Sea in front of them. And God did what? Parted the sea. And they came through. And then the Egyptians were drowned. And then they were in 
they came up here and were in this area and coming to the promised land. And we know then trouble was stirred up because God gave them his law at Mount Sinai after they came out of Egypt and they came to the promised land and they were afraid. And they decided to go with fear over faith in this God who was mighty and powerful. After wandering for 40 years, they came back to the promised land and God said, choose. I've given a covenant. I've made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now you choose. Will you follow me? Will you be my people? If you choose life, I will bless you in every way. If you choose death, curses will come upon you and you'll be destroyed. Please choose life. I love you. And so they said, yes, we'll follow you. They went in to this promised land. And as you can see in the yellow here, they were surrounded by all kinds of other tribes of people and cultures that didn't worship God, worship other gods. And Israel, like us, saw other things and they thought, ooh, that looks good, I want that. And they were enticed away from the Lord. What happened was through their history, they had kings. Um, after Solomon died, there were world powers that, this map is definitely not to scale. Israel is not this large, but I wanted you to see Israel because it's our focus. But after Solomon died, Israel was broken into two countries. The northern part was the country of Israel, and the southern part was the country of Judah. And so God said, if you don't walk with me, I'm going to bring all these curses on you. And so one of the curses is going to be that you're going to be taken out of your country. And so Assyria, which was the world power at the time, <clears throat> came in and took captives from Israel and took them back to Assyria, which had to be a terrifying thing. And then they took other peoples and planted them in Israel so that the place would be populated with non-Israelites. Later, Babylon, which was a province of Assyria, grew stronger and overtook Assyria. And then, then Babylon came in and took captives from Judah and brought them over. Miraculously, there were at least a couple of waves of captives who returned to Judah and then rebuilt the temple and rebuilt the walls around Jerusalem. And as they were doing that, Persia um, became the next world power. So I just wanted to give you um, some perspective about where these things were happening. If you are interested in looking, there are details I'm sure you can't see from where you're sitting. Okay, let me put this back in. All right. Um, my glasses. All right. 
so we want to talk about who, who prophets were, what prophets were, and what they weren't. So usually when a prophet comes to mind, if you're not familiar with the Bible at all, um, you might think about fortune tellers, or you might think about um, occult people who look into shiny glass balls or something like that. That is not what the prophets of the Bible were. There definitely were false prophets who brought messages of their own, but the Bible's prophets were people, men who God called specifically to the office of prophet. Um, prophets were moved by the word of God that he put in them. They weren't moved by the things that they thought they should tell others. They weren't teachers, they weren't preachers, unless that was their vocation before they were called, but they were proclaimers and they were people who called Israel to repentance. They were calling Israel to do the things that God had asked them to do earlier when he cut covenant with Abraham and when he said to them, choose today who you'll serve, me or the prophet, the other nations and gods around you. I'm going to take a look at um, Jeremiah 1. Not sure how to do this all. Let me just say that if you have not ever found the prophets in the Bible, you go to the beginning of the New Testament and then you flip forward, and that's where the minor prophets are. So you'll start with Malachi at the end, and then you can keep flipping. Um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel are in front of those books. <clears throat> of course, I've chosen my Bible with the smallest print in my whole house. And I'm at the age where that's not a good idea. Um, let's go ahead and read Jeremiah 1. Let's start with the call to Jeremiah. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Before you were born, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And did Jeremiah say, all right, that's awesome, I want to do that? No. He said, then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I don't know how to speak. He said something similar to what Moses said to God when he called him to speak for him. Jeremiah added, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you. Then the Lord put out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have set you this day over the nations and over kingdoms 
to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. Jeremiah didn't really have much choice in the matter. God had chosen him. And God doesn't call people who he finds qualified a lot of the time. God qualifies the people that he calls. And so he wants people who are going to be responsive to him. And Jeremiah was trying pretty hard to say, this is not a good idea. I'm too young. I don't know how to lead people. I don't know what to do here. And God says, I'm giving you my words, and you're going to go. And this is a scary list. Um, I've given, put words in my mouth that you will pluck up and break down, destroy and overthrow, build and plant. So there were things that needed to be plucked up and destroyed in Israel. These, these prophets of God had a task that was not popular. And so it's a good thing that God called them because if God hadn't called them specifically, I don't think anybody would have signed up for the job because people don't like to be confronted with their sin. And that's precisely what the prophets were doing. The prophets were speaking unpopular messages to the people of Israel and sometimes to the nations around Israel. They were speaking these messages because God had spoken to them and, and these messages were like stored up in their bones and they, they couldn't help but speak these words, which is a gift from God for all of us, but these men, were normal people. They weren't necessarily guys who loved controversy. They weren't necessarily on the debate team. They, they were people like us, and it was challenging and hard for them to have this call on their life. The guys that God called for, to be the 12 were a diverse group, and we don't know a lot about them, but we do know he called some who had priests in their family, some who were rich, one who was a shepherd, which means he was probably poor, um, one who was the grandson of one of the kings of Israel named Hezekiah, and he was one of the good kings of Israel, and then one who was listed in Nehemiah's book, so Edo was this guy's great-grandfather. So there are connections. Some of these people are well-known, but folks like Obadiah and Nahum, we don't know anything about them except their name is on the book and the book is in the Bible. So men of Israel who knew at least the first five books of the Bible because if they were in the synagogue, they were taught those books. And after that, God just said, I'm gonna equip you, here we go. When we think about the prophets, too, we think about them speaking about future events. How many of you have thought, oh no, they're saying something about our future, and I don't know what they're saying because it's confusing, and I'm afraid of what it could be? I felt like that. I felt like that especially about the book of Revelation. Like, I see all this imagery, I'm not sure what it means, and it sounds scary. 
Um, but what these guys were talking about was not all aimed at us or talking about the end of the world. And so that's a good thing. Um, let me tell you that from the book called How to Read the Bible for All It's Worth, less than 2% of Old Testament prophecy has to do with Jesus. But some percent does. One and some point something has to do with Jesus. Less than 5% deals with the new covenant age or the age that we're living in, less than 5%. And um, less than 1% has to do with our future. Our, we today, our future. So what that means is more than 92% of the, the words of the prophets were spoken to Israel and the surrounding countries about their future. And so those things that God was saying through them to those people are now our past, and we can see what's happened. And, and that's what was happening when Assyria and Babylon came in and took them captive. What we want to do is not think about ourselves as people God might call to be prophets. Oh my gosh, he might call me, he might show up, and he might make me do something I don't want to do. What we, we are an audience that is looking at what the prophets said from God to the original audience, but there are messages that we can learn from, from what they said to Israel. There are lots of messages that we're going to look at about justice, and not blanket justice, but how the church or how Israel was so happy being affluent, looking good, and um, approving of each other, that they weren't giving their hearts to the Lord, and they weren't concerned with the poor, the poor in their midst or the poor in their city. How many of you get intimidated when you see somebody and you're like, she's got it all together? I definitely know I don't have it all together. And so, how can I go hang out with her? Well, we all know, and if you don't know, let me tell you, those people don't have it together either. <laughs> but sometimes they don't know they don't have it all together. And, and dressing nicely and having the houses and doing the social thing, they're still seeking their okayness in those things. And that's what Israel was doing at that time. And we're tempted to have it all together, like we think other people do, because it looks good. And they seem to have joy and ease. But, but it's not true. There's sorrow and pain in all of our lives. And when we are honest with ourselves and the people around us, and we have humble hearts, we have more open ears to hear what it is that God has to say to us. Let's go ahead and take a look at um, Isaiah 6. This is the call of God on Isaiah's life. So as I read this, 
the question I'm asking is, why would these men continue to be prophets? Why would they continue to proclaim this message of repentance to the people of Israel? Particularly in light of the fact that where they were mouthpieces for God, they weren't honored, they weren't esteemed, they weren't treated with respect, like you would think somebody should be if they're speaking words from God. Instead, they were mocked, they were rejected, they were abused, and they were thrown out of town or thrown out of the country. They were not popular. They were accused of lying. And there were false prophets around who were telling the people of Israel what they wanted to hear. They were telling them, God's going to bless you just as you are. You don't have to do anything. And those guys were welcomed in. And so why would these prophets continue to speak this message? Isaiah 6 says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations and the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, but I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the, the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go. How many of you have had an experience with the Lord where it felt, I can't leave, where it felt like the curtain was drawn back a little bit more, and, and there was a deeper connection between you and Jesus. Have any of you had that experience? It's a beautiful, beautiful gift from the Lord. When I've had three experiences like that in my life that were quite short but life-changing. One of those times I was on a missions trip, worshiping with a group of people. And other than that, there was nothing special happening. But we were 
focusing on worshiping the Lord, singing, and I was standing with my hands raised, and it felt like the curtain opened or the clouds parted, and the intensity of love that I felt was so fulfilling, beautiful, powerful, that I thought as I stood there, I don't ever want to leave. I don't ever want to leave the presence of this love. It was life transforming for me to taste the presence of the Lord and who he was. And Isaiah was either having an intense vision or was plucked up and was in heaven for a little while. And he saw the Lord seated on his throne. These guys had an intense personal call from God that changed who they were. And their fire for God, their love for God, compelled them to go forward. And it's just interesting that they were people just like us. And in the midst of this ministry, they would talk back to God, they would ask him questions, they would interact with him, and then sometimes they wouldn't think he was around. And just like us, we, they would want his presence again. Please, come on. Where are you? I'm talking to you. Lord, do you know what has happened? I am in trouble here. I need you. Jeremiah says, you enticed me and you tricked me. And these people want to kill me. And I don't think you care. Where are you? I can't believe you tricked me. Have you ever talked to God like that? You can, as long as you keep listening, because eventually he's going to say, I didn't trick you. I love you. I know what I'm doing, and it's good for you, and it's good for me. These guys continued on because the holiness of God is so vast, so beautiful, so powerful, that that it envelops us, and, and God wants us to come to him because he has made us for himself, and he's the one who satisfies, and he's the one who has life for us. When Israel was being told by God to choose life or choose death, he wasn't impartial. He said, I want you to choose life. And two of the verses from Deuteronomy 30, God says to his people, For this commandment I command you today is not too hard for you, neither is it far off, but the word is very near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you can do it. He also says, Therefore choose life that you and your offspring may live, the Lord your God, that you may live loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him, for he is your life and length of days. And so as we look at the message of the prophets this year, um, 
We're going to look at how we too are called to repentance, how we too are called back into relationship with the Lord. In not in our, we're walking with the Lord. If you weren't walking with the Lord, you wouldn't be sitting in this room. But walking with the Lord and looking at our hearts and seeing where are we worshiping other things? Where are we more focused on ourselves than caring about people God puts in our way that, that he wants us to care about? Are our hearts turned toward the Lord to see his beauty, to see his holiness, and to have humble hearts that listen and follow instead of just do our own thing? One tidbit this week that I'll end on is you know, the queen has died. I, I found it very sad. My daughter Annie texted me in all caps, the queen of England is dead. And I was like, what? And, you know, that got my attention more than any news story because she had it in all caps. And I thought, isn't it crazy how I, an American woman in North Carolina, am moved by the death of this queen. And now, with no relationship to her, of course, but seeing her as a figurehead in the world, just her presence caused stability in, in life. And um, I remember, I like royal things, I'm sure some of you do too, and I remember different things um, on TV and seeing their beautiful gowns and their robes. And I remember getting up really early in the morning to watch Princess Diana's wedding. Anybody else? Half of you are way too young for that. But we had to get up at like 4 or 5 in the morning to see the wedding. And Diana's wedding gown had a train that went way far behind her. Um, I, I know that when Queen Elizabeth was coronated, she had a train that had to be lifted by several men when she went into the um, chapel because it was showing the magnitude of her monarchy. And so in ancient times, similarly, the quality of the robe and the length of the train indicated to people how important monarchs were and what level of reverence they should give. And this passage in Isaiah says, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. It filled the whole place. He is the almighty God. He is higher than any other ruler, any other monarch, and his reign is a good reign, and he is a good God, and he is full of love, but he is holy, 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 deserving our reverence and our obedience and our love, and yet he's our daddy, and we can come and say, show me how to do that. So. Let's follow these prophets this year and, and let's walk as women who are teachable and who are studying in light of our God who is holy, holy, holy. Let's pray. 
holy, holy, holy God, we are so honored to belong to you. We are thankful for the living power of your word that is still in our possession today. Father, we pray that we would be women who are teachable and that you, by your Holy Spirit, would give life to our flesh and bones. You would give hope to our minds. You would give motivation to our actions, and you would lead us in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen.